0: What's up, Guyao? Now, people, we've got Dave Williams on today. And in this conversation that we have today, we're going to talk about not only his journey going from being down sickness and basically almost losing his job, but how he turned it around from nothing in financial ruin almost more or less to owning an insurance agency, building it up to doing, you know, multiple I think he said 20 million, if I believe correctly, um, a year in recurring revenue, selling it, and then starting another business. So, uh, this man is a wealth of knowledge, and you're going to really Really enjoy this episode, so let's dive in and have that conversation. Hey guys, welcome to another amazing episode of the GooYaho Now show. I'm your host, Bob McIntosh, and today I am joined by Dave Williams. Now Um, Dave and I have actually been a part of a mastermind for a little over a year now, Um, but I didn't actually have the opportunity to get to know him very well through that just because there's a lot of people there and we don't get to meet everyone. Um, And then thankfully, I was actually back in Rochester fairly or uh, Buffalo recently, and he lives in Rochester, which is not too far away. So we kind of met, split the difference, met up and had lunch. And as we were sitting there having lunch, he's telling me his story about sort of where he came from, what he's built himself up to and the businesses that he's done. And I was like, I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, this is perfect. Like my audience needs to hear this story because um, it's it's a story of like determination, grit, being down on your luck more or less and, and then making the best of an opportunity. And I'm gonna let him tell the story because it's obviously hits his story and it's awesome. But I'm very excited to have him on with this. Uh, he's a very successful entrepreneur. And he'll be talking a little bit about that and sort of how he's, changed his business model and pivoted. So I'm very excited to have him on. I think you guys are going to learn a lot from his story as with everyone, no matter what, whether this is a business you're in, whether he's in the area you're in, you will be able to learn something and take away something from his story and his journey to apply in your own business. So Dave, thank you for being here, man. I appreciate it.
1: No, absolutely. Thanks for having me here. I definitely appreciate
0: being on. Yeah. So uh, tell everyone a little bit, um, you know, just a little bit about, you know, let's just start with the story. I think the story is probably the most powerful piece. Yeah. So kind of start there. And, you know, let's, let's start with the beginning from where it all got going for me. Yeah. I'll, so I'll,
1: I'll talk about my my segue, and my path into entrepreneurship. So I've always my whole life had an entrepreneurial spirit. My dad, uh, you know, I watched as an entrepreneur growing up his whole life. He had a his own business for 50 years where he focused on, you know, really delivering a unique experience, best in class customer service. And he had this like perfectionist mentality and he he had his own gutter business, putting gutters on houses. So I just grew up in this household of, you know, entrepreneurship that I was around and, uh, you know, coming out of college, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. So I ended up, uh I was in college for tool and die. I went there for, to play baseball and I uh, ended up getting a certification in tool and die. It wasn't really what I wanted to do. And while I was trying to figure things out in life, I had a friend that worked at Circuit City, decided to get a job there that I thought was going to be temporary, And uh, it was a sales position. I found out that I was good with people. I was good with sales. And very quickly, I moved up uh, within the company. I was one of the top sales people. And uh, they ended up uh, promoting me multiple times within the first year being there and then gave me my own uh, circuit city superstore to run. So that was my career of 10 years. I was running a store. I was an executive for circuit city. And, um, towards the end of the stint of my career at, uh, my career at circuit city, I started to have some, uh, pretty bad debilitating health issues. I ended up having to go off of work uh, for about six months for autoimmune issues that I had. It was one point at its worst. I couldn't really even walk. Um, but I went off of work for, uh, six months, had to force myself to get back to work before the six months was up because that was as long as they could hold my position. And, uh, I needed to maintain the position. So I forced myself before I was ready to get back. And during that time, I I would say it was a real tough time financially because anybody that goes through six months where you're really not getting much of an income at all, the bills start to add up and they start to stack up. And, uh, I was in a tough spot financially. So here I am. I finally come back to work. I'm getting back into the groove of things. And I think it was about three to four months later after that, then the the last, I guess, hammer dropped, so to speak. And Circuit City filed that they're going to go Chapter 11 and they're going to be closing down the the company. So here I am, still not in the best of health, um, not in the best of financial position. And now I'm going to lose my career of 10 years and I got to figure something out. So, I mean, that was, uh, I'd say, pretty pretty devastating at the time. And as I was trying to think through different things to do, I had a friend of the family that was in the insurance business. Um, he was with Allstate Insurance. I started talking to him and it seemed like a pretty good, uh, pretty good gig and decided that in some capacity I wanted to get in insurance. So as Circuit City was going out of business, I started getting my licenses at night to prep for this and, you know. In the meantime, a lot of people are chirping in my ear saying, you know, don't start a business, go work for somebody for three years first, learn the business. You know, most businesses fail. And then on the other side of things, I got my doctors telling me, you know, get used to being on long term disability. So the big why behind just going all in for me and making it happen was I wanted to create a life on my own terms that if I needed to adapt because of my own uh, health, I could do so. And also, you know, a big why was was for my family. You know, as as I grew up, you know, I watched my dad literally work around the clock, um, you know, for for us kids and for our family in, in sacrifice. And I wanted to be able to to give back to him. I wanted to be able to provide a great life uh, for my wife, because uh, we had we had a brother that uh, you know went down the wrong path in in life. And after that, my parents doubled down and literally spent every dime they had. to to make sure that me and my sister stayed busy. Like I went through, you know, baseball lessons, my sister went through singing lessons, and they literally, you know, saved nothing for retirement. He would work around the clock just to just to provide for us, wouldn't put new clothes on his own back. And like I just admired that growing up. And that was like a big part of my why that I wanted to be able to pay that back forward. And I knew I needed to stop working for somebody else in order to do that. So Believe it or not, I still I still have it. I have it up in my office. But when it came down to it, and I didn't even know if I was going forward at the time, I I wrote myself out a check for a million dollars, and I put it in a frame and I hung it up on my wall every day, and I looked at that check every single day. And alongside it, I put my unemployment card at the time too, so I never forgot. Mm-hmm. I never forgot where I came from, but I knew where I had to go and do all the right things to eventually cash that check. And it wasn't. It wasn't about the money that I just wanted to get money. I knew if I could meet that milestone and one day I could cash that check, that it would provide everything that I needed to. I could give my wife a great life. I could give back to my parents and their retirement years and take care of them. And again, I could live a life on my own terms and, and take care of my my own my own health. So that was kind of like my big why behind it that I looked at every every single day. But as I was talking to different insurance companies and talking to talking to Allstate at the time, the one barrier to opening my own insurance agency is you needed X amount of capital, and which I did not have at the time. I didn't have much to my name, just being in the current situation that I was in. Uh, but it ended up being a blessing in disguise. So here I am, as I'm you know studying at night for my insurance license. I'm trying to figure out you know pay the bills and try to come up with capital. The liquidators came in and said. You know, we're looking to uh, blow out all the open merchandise, all the customer return merchandise for, you know, pennies and a dollar. So sell it for whatever you can get. And that was kind of my aha moment at the time when they said that to me. And my response to them was, what if I made it easy on you? And I personally came in, bought up all the merchandise in this store that you're able to sell and maybe any other Circuit city stores that are out there within three hours of here, I'd be willing to do the same thing. I was able to negotiate a deal with them where I think I took the last $7,000 out of my 401k, cashed it out, took the hit on it, bought up maybe 70, dollars $80,000 worth of electronics uh, from Circuit City. And at the time, my wife, in our small house we lived in, my wife didn't like it at first. She didn't quite understand uh, where I was going with it all, but... She came home the one day and had boxes room. and
0: she's like, what Circuit City.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the living room was literally stacked with like TVs, sound systems, remotes, like anything that I could, you know, really think of turning around and selling. So as they started to go under, um, you know, I finished that time out, continued to get my license, and then sold it all online and actually raised enough capital to, you know, pay off bills, pay off debt, and raise the capital I needed to start my first insurance agency from scratch. And in the insurance business, there's a couple ways you can go. You can buy an existing revenue stream and come in and learn the business. Or there's the more riskier version where you start from scratch and you just build it from the ground up. I decided to go all in and do that. And that was really all I had the means to do at the time. So I hired two people that lost their job with me at Circuit City. And then we came into our first insurance agency. And just from day one, I acted as if somebody was trying to take it away from me, you know, 24-7. Uh, I knew that, You know, if I didn't produce revenue immediately, I had to learn quick. If I didn't produce revenue immediately, we'd be out of business before we even start. We maybe had a couple months of operating capital to to keep us going. We opened up our first shop inside of a shopping mall across from the DMV. So when they came in, uh, they had trainers coming in with the company that I was with, with Allstate. And the trainers came in and explained, hey, the first couple weeks that, you know, we're just going to be training and then you can start to learn how to sell. And I'm like, no, I need to sell now. Uh, and so I did things a little bit differently. I'm like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull people out of the mall. And then you're going to teach me, uh, like how to use these systems, how to quote, how to do everything in, in real time here. So, uh, my first, my very first customer, I think he's still, he was still with us to the to point we, um, to today, uh, it took us probably about three hours to write his first policy, but that's how we learned. We learned fast. Like I pulled him out of a line at, at the DMV. And we just had this mentality that uh, it, it was burn the boats and do or die. And our first agency, we built up to about, I think, two and a half million dollars in reoccurring revenue over the course of uh, probably about two, two and a half years. At that point in time, I was spending a lot of the nights just literally almost at a point of obsession, like studying and learning, you know, what can I do to simplify things? What can I do to automate things? Teaching myself marketing skills, how to go out there and market. Because when we first did it, like there was nothing fancy. We weren't working with CRM systems. We weren't. We didn't have uh, um, really a marketing budget at all. It was literally phone on the desk, picking up a phone book and just smiling and dialing. I mean, we had <laughs> we had lists, but they were like lists out of maybe like a sales genie type company. They're a real cold list. They're the equivalent of the white pages, and we were just hitting the phones. So it was between grabbing people out of the mall and hitting the phones, and uh, we we still made it happen off of that. And as we started to Cure revenue. Um, we started investing it all back into the business, growing, adding additional employees. So then probably right around that same two and a half year mark, we launched another location, did that from scratch, built that to about four and a half million. Then we needed another location, built that to close to about 8 million. And then fast forward after about 10 years, we were, uh, one of the number one, all state insurance agencies in the entire country. We built it to about, you know, $20 million in, in reoccurring revenue. And, um, we actually, uh, during that time, we had it set up where all of our people were on development plans where eventually they would get to own their own agencies. And I was kind of blessed as of recently to be able to pass the baton over to them at the right here at the 10 year mark and sell off uh, for of my locations to people that we had within our organization that stuck with us to the thick and thin uh, that, that now you know, own their own agencies. So that's that's a, a little bit about my story and how I came, you know came up from the situation I was and built it, uh, built it to where we are today.
0: That's perfect. All right. And I, and, and for everyone who's listening, or if you're watching um, there's more to the story, which we'll get to a little bit about where he's at now and what he's doing. But before we get there um, I was taking some notes as you were going through um, just cause it was a good, a good reminder. There was questions that I had in my mind, but I just wanted to make sure I, did, I, I got to ask them. So um, I want to, I want to go back a little bit to the point at which you were, Sick, you've got this these, this autoimmune disease that you're dealing with. I'm sure that you're probably feeling like crap. I would imagine if it was bad enough for you to have to take off for six months of work, and then you make this decision to go back to work despite the fact that you weren't really ready um, and you you know still weren't feeling great. So, what was going through your mind at that point in time? Like, what what was you know for most people, I would imagine if they sat there with that same thing, they'd be like, oh, you know, like, they're not going to choose that. So, was there a moment? Was it like? Like, tell me more. Like, say fear.
1: Like, I, I think fear can be defined two different ways. Like, forget, forget everything and run, or face everything and rise. And I chose the latter. Um, it was fear that motivated the heck out of me because I saw it was almost like my my life flashed behind before my eyes. Like, if if I don't do this now and I don't go all in and just really make this happen, um, maybe I'm going to be back in retail again, like suffering on my feet all the day, just trying to get by, or. Um, You know, one of my doctors were telling me being off of work on long term disability, and that was not a life that I was going to tolerate, that that I was going to accept. I figured I had an obligation, a duty and a mission to provide for my family, provide for my wife and then create a life that was conducive for me. So I was no longer on somebody else's terms just suffering, but I was creating a life that I could, you know, maybe work hard, but do it on do it on my own terms. So it was it was. That dream, and I'd say that check that I had hanging that I looked at, because I put it somewhere where every morning that I woke up, I looked at it. And again, it wasn't about the money. It was about if I can get to that milestone, which, oh, by the way, probably about six months or six years in, I eventually uh, uh, cashed that check. Um, that was going to provide- That's awesome, by the way. <laughs> a totally, totally different life for me and my family. And that that was like the why behind it. So Anytime that I, I signed up a customer, because in the beginning, before we actually scaled the business and created infrastructure and hired a lot of employees, I was my own best employee. And a lot of times I think people, you know, when you're diving into a business like that, you can be unmotivated. It's like oh, another sale, just selling another customer and you get stuck into this grind. But every customer for me was one inch closer to that to that dream and to that, you know, to that
0: catching that check Dude, that that that's awesome, and so you know, it sounds to me like you were saying, if I can summarize it, your why was so much bigger than any other alternative. So it was an easy, maybe not, maybe not an easy choice. I shouldn't say that, but it was a choice that you knew you had to make regardless because the the why was so big. Is that is that a fair statement? You think?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think a big part of that too, like the couple employees that I did have, and we started to scale from that because I was in that focus mode, and that's what I put my attention on. I was the tone setter in the office. So it was very difficult for anybody to operate at a substantially lesser level than me. Um, So what I really did do that, I think, unknowingly at the time was like through osmosis, I created some you know, kind of mini me's and clone myself in there, which allowed me later on to scale the business because then I just replicated what I had already done, brought new people in, layered them underneath those two people that were my kind of mini me's now. And then we just started to scale
0: out the out the business from there and try to do uh, do more and more. Perfect, perfect. Um, so let me ask you another question then going, going back a little bit. Cause again, I think our, I, I always, you know, believe that our, our struggles are what form who we are and where we go. I believe that, you know, not necessarily that we all have to be at the bottom to reach it, to make it to the top, but it, it being at the bottom. And I, and I think you said it perfectly. Like I had my unemployment card hanging there. So you never forget. This is where I was. I've been there and I don't want to go back. Yeah. yeah, and whatever your bottom end, and this I think this is something important. I I know actually I would love to get your take on this. So a lot of people talk about. You know, we, we see these these entrepreneurs that are out there and they're successful. And we say, man, like they had it so rough, like they had a disease and then they lost their job. And then they almost and, and, and like we think in ourselves and then there's people out there who are like, I didn't have it that bad. Is that why I'm not successful? Do you think that that struggle that you were in created you the opportunity for you to be successful? Or do you think it's just something inherent in, in your drive that you're going to do it no matter what that got you where you are?
1: I think it honestly took a combination of both um, okay. because it took the situation that I was in and then just really growing up. Um, just the work ethic piece was just always something that I saw my dad doing, like literally growing up. Like not only would he he have his main business that he'd be working around the clock night and day from like 5 a.m. till late at night, coming home at dark. Uh, but he picked up a second business like snow plowing driveways right after that. So I'd see him literally come up late and go right back out to work and plow. And it was it was nothing to do with him. It was just always to provide for us. And I'd say a lot of that work ethic came there, but then the passion to be able to give back to him. So he didn't have to do that in in the later years. And, and again, you know, provide a family for uh, or provide for my family and my wife was a, a big, you know, a big factor for me coming into it.
0: Totally makes sense. Okay, so I want to go back. You know, you said after six months your bills are piling up. You know that hey, maybe you 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 know this insurance thing is happening, but you know you need to raise capital for that, and so you you make you make the switch over. You get this inventory from Circuit City. You sell it. Um, as you're selling it, what was your mindset in terms of should I save everything I have to go into insurance? Because I also noticed that you said you paid you know you paid a lot of debt off. So. You know I, I'm guessing guessing based on what you said that hey you, you made enough to do to do both obviously but let's just say someone's in a situation where they're, they're in, in a similar situation maybe not exactly the same but hey I got a lot of debt I need to make an investment in something to get myself going would you tell that person to you know go all in on the business and first before worrying about the debt or the other way around or like what would be your advice you I get
1: mean, an option to go either or I mean it's just going all in on the business and I, I would say like to that person is making sure you're ready to go. All in, because what I see a lot of people when they're getting started right now, it's like sometimes we get in our own way and you want everything to be 100 percent perfect before you start. Like when I started my my business in the insurance agency, I had no idea what I was doing. I was still learning, still figuring out. So I think a big part of it was that do or die mentality, like just acting as if mentally someone was trying to rip this from me 24 hours a day and I just had to figure it out as I went. So I would encourage people that, you know, if you're going to do it, like dive in, everything doesn't have to be perfect. The best way you're going to learn is through that trial and error and and you're going to fail. There's going to be failures, but there's going to be multiple failures that's going to lead up to that point of success. And I I would say that's the, the, the biggest thing I could say there.
0: Perfect. So, okay. So you, you go, you kick off this insurance agency, right? You've made the investment. You're like, I'm all in, we're going to do it. And then you were saying that you were kind of bucking the system a little bit saying like, Hey, no, 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 I'm not going to do it the way that you said, I'm going to do it my way. Cause this is what I know I need right now. Um, do you think that that elevated your success more? Or do you think if you had followed the system, maybe long-term, you would have been more successful? I would, yeah, hundred percent.
1: I would say so. Cause it goes right back into like trying to make everything perfect. I think mm-hmm. that's almost how the training was designed at the time. It was like, hey, we're going to teach you how to do this, this, and this. And then you're not even going to start selling until maybe like two weeks out. And I was like, you know what? I think you can have your cake and eat it too. Let's <laughs> just do it. And there's no better way to learn, in my opinion, than doing it in in, in real life, real-time scenarios. So that's exactly what we did. So we were kind of learning and training um, while we were you know, producing and early on growing the business and bringing revenue. And it didn't take that long. I would say... We cut our training time probably down to maybe a tenth of what it would have been just by just jumping in and kind of failing forward.
0: Makes sense. Yeah. So you're kind of you're experiencing all the things they're going to tell you about. But because you experienced it, you're already you're already there. You can move forward faster. That that makes a lot of sense.
1: I think a lot of times fear will paralyze somebody from doing that. And then what happens is, is that you're always in this state of uh, like trying to achieve perfection before you even start. And then it, it creates this kind of over analysis paralysis type scenario for somebody. So, again, somebody starting a new business. The best thing I would tell you is jump right in is as, as scary as that may be and just start just start swimming. <laughs> and, but, but before you know it, you, you know, you're not going to allow yourself to drown. You're going to um, you're going to be a
0: pro before you know it. Totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. So, okay, so we got this. You start building the business. You're kind of like I said, bucking the trend, just making sure things are happening no matter what. It's do or die. Um, and you talked a little bit about, you know, the the hustle to get customers. So I'd love for you to go into more detail now. And the reason that I ask this question is, you know, a lot of you listening, you're probably not in the insurance business, so you might be going, Bob, I don't care about learning how to get customers for insurance, but understand that I I believe that. Your uh, Dave, your journey of getting these customers, the mindset and the way that you tackled it, um, that grit and determination to make it happen no matter what, could be applied to any business. So walk me through, like, you know, was there was there tactics that you thought of? Like, help me understand where 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 were you in terms of like, hey, I'm going to get customers no matter what, and how did that look for you? Because I think a lot of people that are listening to this show and a lot of people that are struggling right now, um, especially you know, we're, we're coming so well, I'd say coming out of COVID, but I think maybe going back into it might be the more appropriate time uh, to yeah. right now. But what what does that look like? Because I think people are going to be desperate to need customers, and I think understanding your journey and whatever your ta- your process was to tackle that could be very helpful for a lot of folks.
1: No, absolutely. I, I would say it definitely evolved over time, but in the be- the very beginning, you know, I was just learning. It was really by whatever means necessary. Um, So I wasn't afraid to, you know, grab a straight, you know, we were in a shopping mall. I wasn't afraid to grab strangers that were walking by in a shopping mall and just bring them in to engage with them. Wasn't afraid to just pick up the phone and do the heavy lifting and um, just dial, you know, random people out of a, a, out of a phone book or off of a really cold list. And like during that, I was always trying to learn and get better. So when we first picked up the phone, it was just an extreme and incredible amount of inject uh, rejection. And but as we were doing that, and I was listening to you know sales guys next to us, I was just constantly, okay, what could we do differently? What could we do differently with a script? What can how can we be more assumptive to get a different result? And I think because we were just constantly adapting to our pitch, we eventually got it down um, and built a process that was just sustainable for us at the time that that built that revenue. You know, we weren't afraid. To call family and friends in the very beginning, like we just did whatever it took to build that initial um, that initial revenue stream that was coming in, and then I immediately took all the proceeds of it. You know, well, I saw other people that were starting insurance agencies; they were literally taking all their profits and proceeds, buying new cars, buying like these different things. I still drove the same beater, and for a number of years, and I kept putting the money back into the business, back into my people solving problems, putting solutions in place. We started to put CRM systems in place, marketing methods in place, really doubling down, hiring additional staff and just put all my focus into that. And I'd say because we did that and made that kind of um, financial and time investment back into the business, um, that we saw the fruits that it bared later on in the later years. Had we not done that, yeah, I could have lived a little bit more luxurious in the beginning, but there wouldn't have been any fruit on the trees at at, at the end of the harvest
0: so. totally makes sense so were you, are you someone that you know never had a problem walking up to a stranger in a mall and pulling them out because like i know for me personally, like that would be like a very difficult thing for me to do just you know you, you, like i'm a, i would say i'm fairly extroverted um but not as much as some and so that's like a, an exercise of almost terror for me not to say that yeah. i wouldn't do it but but you know but I, and i think there's a lot of people that would be the same like wait you're just gonna walk up to someone in the mall and, and wait what so like is that is that something that you always did, or were you like, hey, this is do or die, so I'm going to do it because the other alternative is you know terrible? No, I'm I'm actually like an introvert trained extrovert, so okay. you
1: know I had to kind of like force myself to that point. But where I, I guess you know where I got a lot of that too is like Circuit City. We had to be out on the floor with like customers all the time. A big part of what we had to do there was you know staff recruit people, train people, coach people. And, you know, sell electronics products, uh, products. and we we're just always out interacting with customers. So I guess I took some of the learnings that I you know I had there and they moved over hand in hand. But it was I'd say mainly that it was just that do or die mentality. I'd much rather face maybe the fear of engaging somebody that manner than facing the fear of failure and this not, you know, not happening.
0: Totally makes sense. Um... And so, actually, I want to go back just a little bit again in this story, too. Sure. You know, you find out Circuit City's closing chapter 11. Um, you know, was there a period of, I'll say, despair or like, oh my God, like, what, like, is anything going right in my life? Or were you, or was it like relief? Cause you're like, oh man, like, maybe I didn't really want to do this in the first place. This opens the opportunity up. Like, what was that like at that point in time for you? No, I would
1: say it definitely started out as despair. Cause I came, I, you know, I called my wife. The way we found out at the time, we know things weren't the best, but we were being told by, leadership in the company like hey the company's gonna be good they might get bought out by somebody and the way we found out that they were officially going chapter 11 is a customer walked in the store and saw it on the local news and they said we're very sorry to hear that this happened so we actually found it out by like a customer and then we go check oh man we'd go like google search it and look it up and then there it is like circuit city files bankruptcy so i was i was like def- devastated at the time because for me it was like 10 years of my life that's what i knew of course yeah and but i mean. it you know I've always found now is like when one door closes, a lot of times there's a there's a reason behind it, and the next one is usually you know if you if if, if you make it what you want it to be can can be a lot a lot more fruitful, the one that the one that would open. So it ended up being a blessing in disguise and kind of forced me out of my element and out of my comfort zone because I've always again, always had that entrepreneurial spirit. But because I was so caught up in retail and I was always working like that day to day and that day- to day grind in retail working for somebody else, I just didn't have the time and the bandwidth to like really buckle down and figure something else out. And that just forced me at like lightning speed to have to, to have to do that.
0: Yeah, uh, that makes that makes sense. That's awesome. And I, I think for all of you listening or watching right now, you know, no matter where you are, whether whether you've already gone through a journey similar to this or maybe you're facing that journey right now, because I know a lot of people are probably facing that despair, going, Oh my gosh, are we gonna are we ever gonna be able to to, to get to where we were? So I, I think that's a great advice, obviously. Just keep, keep pushing through. Okay, so let's fast forward. Um, you go, you build you build out multiple different locations. You actually train some awesome people. You're now able to hand off the business to, or at least a couple of locations to those people that you have. Um, you know, uh, I, I'd, I'd love to know, and I think people are going to want to know, did you change or decide to sell off because of a change in the business, a change in mind, a change in, hey, like this is a time? Or, you know When you started this, w- was your intent to sell it at some point in time or was it to keep going? Like, uh, Tell me how you got to arrive to the decision of, hey, we're going to sell this piece to somebody else now.
1: Yeah. So I'd say all along we had this like this plan with the our folks there. So I'd say that was one of the biggest ways we retained individuals in our organization is we really tried to align their goals with ours and understand. So even if somebody started in our organization as a telemarketer, you know, we had a, a it was a couple of few people that ended up owning their own agencies. Now they started with us as a telemarketer. Um, because they, when they came in, we told them, they're like, listen, the sky's the limit for you. I know you're starting at the bottom, but let me show you the path and how high you can go. So if you come in an organization, even as a telemarketer, you do very well in this position for six months. You know, we'll invest in you and you become a licensed sales professional. From there, you can become a senior licensed sales professional. From there, if you prove yourself and really commit to our culture and, uh, you know, show some leadership skills. And these are some of the things that we expect out of you. Then we're going to help, you know, help you get to a team lead situation and all the way up to agency manager. And then those teams, leads and agency managers, most of them had aspirations to become owners. So when we were interacting with them, it was really understanding that goal and helping them get there. So we would have them help interview. We would teach them different skills that they would need. So when the time came right, they were about as prepared as you could be to kind of, you know, I guess, take the keys to the kingdom at that point. And it wasn't—I would say—it wasn't just professional goals that we understood, but we made it a real deliberate point to understand the personal goals of all of the people in our organization, and we intertwined those together. So for some people, it might you know, not have been just about all—I'm oh, trying to hit numbers, I'm trying to get to own an agency. But you know, what does that really mean, and how does that going to impact your life and, and families, and in terms of your goals personally? Do you want to buy a new house? Do you want to buy a new car? Provide for your family in a different manner. Provide you know a certain level of education for your kids. All that. So, anytime we were having a conversation, it was all about, you know, how do we get you where you're at here to there? It wasn't, you know, we need you to do this many numbers, this many sales this week, this many sales this month. It was, no, I'm not going to allow you to fail. I'm not going to allow you to not achieve your goals by not hitting these numbers because by hitting these numbers, that's going to get you that house. That's going to get you closer to, you know, owning your own agency. And that's, that was the line of the conversation at all times. So, by the, by the time it you know got to that point ten years later, we had those people ready. And there was also a shift in the marketplace um, just in the insurance industry with Allstate. state. you, know, not that it was a bad opportunity anymore, but for larger agents, uh, larger agents like myself, and um, with multiple locations, it was starting to become you know not as con- conducive, like less entrepreneurial in terms of large scale. And uh, so, so again, it was still a great opportunity somebody coming in and owning a book of business. But, you know, we just had this grand vision of trying to trying to build out. So it really solidified my decision right there. And we made a, I'd say a lot of, a lot of dreams come true because we, we, we followed through with our commitment over the years where we made these people uh, uh, on our team and on our family business owners. And then that allowed me to, you know, segue and focus, uh, focus some of my time in a different manner and, uh, you know, start a, start a couple other, uh, different ventures here.
0: Perfect. Okay. So you've sold the business now, you, um, you've exited now, have you actually exited all of, all of the locations or was it just a couple or?
1: Yeah, I, I exited all the location. My wife's still in the business cause she came in and acquired an agency. So she's still in the, in the business. Um, but I, ended up selling out my, uh, my insurance agencies at all.
0: Perfect. And so where, and then you said you started some other things. So let's talk a little bit about that. Where, where have you gone now? Like what's your new journey? Yeah. So we've done things on the, on the consulting side, helping, uh, other in, uh, other insurance agents.
1: Um, we actually partnered with a software CRM company, um, uh, ricochet, uh, ricochet 360 that really needed a, a big sales arm for their organization. So me and a business partner, uh, partnered with them and really helped scale out to that, um, out that company and, and their services that they offer. And I'd say the last like main thing that we've been focusing on is we built a, a staffing and recruiting company. It's called Team Hired. So one of the biggest challenges and struggles we actually saw, I mean, I saw just over the years in business and in general, and even in the insurance space, especially was um, just the daunting task of always hiring and always dealing with turnover and trying to find the right people. So that was one of the things that all the way back at circuit city a big part of my role was staffing and recruiting always and going into owning my own business we we literally perfected that process where i think we solved a lot of the problems that uh, business owners faced out there so and i had the idea to turn that you know something i'm passionate about and turn that into a solution to help other business owners out there like myself and we we really came up with a solution that uh, i think hit on a lot of the reasons why businesses struggle you know, a lot, we, we found that a lot of businesses struggle with hiring because it's not something they do all the time and something you don't do all the time maybe creates discomfort. And anytime we're not comfortable with something, we maybe put that off to the side. And then when you are going through the hiring process, just because there's not a lot of experience behind it, there could be potential pitfalls and mistakes that work through the process. And I'd say that, you know, the the final factor is, you know, with any business owner, I think the most valuable commodity that we all have is time. And most people, you know, especially with the entrepreneurs out there wearing multiple hats is, you know, they don't have the time to effectively go out and recruit because we literally got it down to a science. And we found when you're, you know, putting the right campaign out there, getting uh, getting the resumes back in, sifting through the resumes, it literally takes maybe, nine to 10 interviews of solid candidates that you have to get in front of just numbers wise to find that right hire. And if you don't do it that way and you try to take the shortcut, it always ends in a bad result. You maybe make the wrong hire and that ends up costing you more money in the long run. So we came up with a a seamless, you know, kind of a seamless solution where we take over a lot of that process. When somebody works with us, we put up all the job ads um, we aggregate them in, we assign a dedicated recruiter that'll actually work with them hand in hand. And we don't just like a normal recruiting firm, find somebody, put them in front of you, but we literally take a deep dive and try to dissect your process. What did your hiring process look like now? Yeah. What is your elevator pitch when you're trying to, you know, when you find talent? You know, I think great organizations attract good talent. And if you find that good talent and your organization isn't up to par, that person's gonna choose another opportunity. So we teach our clients to have that right elevator uh, pitch as well, because most organizations have a lot of great reasons why to work with them. Each organization has its own unique set and we teach them how to showcase that, you know, especially in the insurance industry. We help a lot of insurance agents. But you know, one of the things we found most of them weren't doing was showing other people like, hey, five years, four years down the road, you could have your name on the door and this is one of the best opportunities in, in America. There's not many places you could go and build this kind of reoccurring revenue stream. And once they started to, changed that elevator spiel of where they could go, that changed the type of talent that they were bringing, in, uh, bringing into their agency.
0: Makes sense. So what, what would you say makes a great organization that can attract top talent? So obviously as a recruiting firm, you would know that. Like, is it the people, the culture? Is it the pay? Um, what, if someone's like looking to hire, what can they do to set themselves up to attract the right kind of people?
1: I would say it's a unique combination of all, but the main, if you know if I could pick one thing, the main thing is culture. Okay. Um, you know, just having like a non-negotiable culture. So I would say, you know, a, a pivotal point in my career when we we're building our business and building our organization, when we really like took off and really started to grow is when I started to focus on culture. Because I think anybody can relate. There was points at time where we were running our business and we were maybe compromising on on certain things in there just because somebody was a solid sales producer or somebody put up numbers. And give you an example of that is, you know, maybe we had somebody putting up great numbers, but we would constantly have to coach that person around maybe their negativity and impacting other team members in, in the organization. But I actually I, I went to a, a conference and I heard a gentleman speak uh, that ran the number one through seven car dealerships, uh, Honda dealerships in America and he talked about how literally every all seven of his dealerships, he got them to rank number one through seven out of all Honda dealerships in America. And he contributed the number one thing that allowed him to achieve that success was having culture. But it wasn't just culture. It was like they, they defined what non-negotiables were across the organization. They said, you know what, this is how our environment is going to be for myself, for you know our internal family and anybody else that's coming in. And no matter what at all costs, we're going to protect that culture. And if there's somebody within there, no matter the results or their sales results that they're getting for the organization, if they're not eating, living and breathing those values that are our internal culture, um, they just can't be a part of the family and can't be a part of the team. So we adapted that and we did have to part ways with some people that were you know, producing some good revenue with us, but they just couldn't shift their mindset from you know, negativity and some of these things that were in our not, you know, our non-negotiables we came up with. And when we did that and started operating that way, it was just a complete shift for our organization. And we started getting like it was like every, we lost this one person or these two people, but everybody else like the tide just raised and just operated at wow. a whole, whole different level.
0: So, Cher, what, what have been some of your non-negotiables, either in the insurance agency or I'm guessing probably still uh, in your new business as well? Like just to give some people some ideas of it, because I, I think so. I, we did an episode a, a while ago with um, a guy named John. Uh, John Stewart and John talked a lot about, you know, your mission, your vision, and your values. And it sounds to me very, very similar. You're saying very similar things as well. So what are some of those non-negotiables that you've had for your businesses?
1: Yeah. So I would say an example of some of the non-negotiables was like anybody that they interact with is leave them better off. So you know, if you're if you're interacting with an internal team member, you're interacting with a customer, you're interacting with a potential customer, is serving them in a manner that leaves them better off in some capacity, even if It didn't necessarily result in a sale or something monetary at the time. If we're always serving people and we got this servant attitude and we're leaving them better off, they're going to remember that. And I think people are going to choose business with us because of that. And if we're serving our internal team members and family the same way, like I don't look at myself as a boss and I dictate or tell people what to do. I, I, I try to take the position of a servant leader and serve all of them and expect all of our team members to do the same. I'd say another one is train every day. Because if if you look at it, the people um, I like to refer to, you know, professional sports, you look at professional basketball, Um, everybody, they train. They're the best at what they do. Professional baseball. They're the best at what they do. But they train regardless every single day. And that's how they develop that edge and they get better and better. And they never digress because of that. So we implemented that same mantra in our organization where we would train every single day. It, it' tough at first. There was some resistance to it because we'd block out literally an hour every day to train and role play. But we found that that just elevated us to a totally different place. The fact that they were just you know training to get better every single day, always be coachable is another one because um, we want people that are open minded that um, that can be coachable that you want to try to help them get better in everything uh, everything that they do. I'd say live with integrity with uh, with everything that they do. Um, I'd say th- those are some of our uh, those are some of our core uh, non negotiables that we have there.
0: That's perfect. So when you're when you're you know when you were hiring for the agency and now as as doing hiring for other companies, um, do you communicate? these, you know, this culture and your vision and your values and all that during the interview process, or like early on, later on? Because um, one of the things I know some people say is, well, I don't need to go through all of that with them until they get far enough in the process. Um, and then I've heard other people say, oh, well, you know, you don't want to waste your time having them go through the process if they're not even going to be a good fit in the first place. So where do yep. you fall on that spectrum?
1: Um, I recommend, and what we would do is do it early on. So we'd expose them to the culture. We'd even have like shadow days, have them come in, have them attend meetings, just to see how they fit. And then we would also get a consensus from our other team members that you know very well, they knew our culture, they knew our vision, where we're headed, and we would have them rank that person. How well do you think this person stacks up that could eat, live, and breathe our values that we're looking for in our organization before we make a decision on them? I think that went a long way, first and foremost, with our people because we had the, you know, the respect to ask them before we allowed somebody in their environment with us. And it also made sure that this person was going to match. I think the pitfall that can happen is when you got, you want to fill that you're reactive and you want to just like put the band-aid on it real quick and make that higher. It might seem like a good idea at the time, but it can create like 10 X the problems in the future because the wrong takes all it takes is one bad person that, that maybe doesn't align with your culture to come in and perpetuate negativity, perpetuate problems and, that that can be the demise of your organization. And all of a sudden you lose all these good people because of that one person that you compromise with. So, you know, we were always non-compromising with the with who would we allow into our team and tried to be a, a real tight knit circle that we would have. And I'd say that really paid dividends over the years.
0: That's perfect. So w- when you find that bad apple, you're like, Hey man, it's just, it's not working um, from a fit culture fit. Do you just like immediately let them go? Or do you like coach them and say like, this is why you're not fitting. Um, if you want to stay, you need to be here. Or is it more like, Hey, like we just, we know you're not going to fit. Just it's better if we part ways.
1: I would say most all, most all people that have left our organization, we've left shaking hands and our friends to this day. Um, and I'd say a part of that was, was having very clear expectations and clear conversations, you know, behind these things. So we would give them, you know, we'd give them multiple opportunities. So we, we'd set the vision. And if we had somebody that maybe wasn't living that vision, we pull them aside and coach them like, Hey, you know, what are our core values with our vision? Okay, great. You know, what we saw going on this week was this, this, and this, do you think those behaviors and what you've been exhibiting, exhibiting in our, uh, in our organization aligned with that culture? And, more times than not, they would agree, no, it doesn't. Like, well, what do you think we're going to do to come up with a plan together? Because I want to see you win. I want you to remain part of the team and the family. What do you think we're going to do to come up with a plan together where you can fix that? And, oh, by the way, make sure you understand the why behind it. Why our culture is that way? And we'd give that opportunity if it was still not there. We'd you know, have a, have another conversation with it. Like, hey, we talked last week. And, you know, this is you agreed that you needed to do X, Y, Z. And the why behind it? What exactly is getting in the way? And can you? Do you? Do we have your commitment to kind of move forward to, to fix these things? And if they would give us our commitment, and then we'd ask them. Well, what do you think that I should do if in a week from now, two weeks from now, we revisit these and none of these things are fixed? And they would almost fire themselves. Would be like, listen, if I were you, I would, I would terminate me. And if we got to that point where somebody wouldn't change, we're two weeks later and we're having that conversation. We'd sit down in the office at that point and. Like, Hey, what do you think? And, and they knew it was coming and it wasn't a surprise. Like, yeah, I get it. I guess I can't change. This isn't for me. And we would shake hands and walk off. So I, I would encourage everybody to have very clear expectations and don't be afraid to confront it and and really have those type of interactions with your team members because if it isn't a fit, um, it'll they'll always end up firing themselves, or it'll end up on on good terms because it's not always a fit. Like your your culture just might not fit a certain personality, and that's okay. But I think there's a, per, a a certain way of going about it.
0: No, that's perfect. I love that. So they're you're setting the expectations, and they're basically giving you permission to let them go if they fail to meet the expectations. So what I love about that the most is that it's, it's them, right? They're, they're essentially setting their own punishment, if you will. I don't know if that's the right word for it necessarily, but you know, the, the consequences would be a better, better term for it. Um, and because they're now vested in it, it's easier to, to make that decision one way or the other, whichever way it goes. So that's awesome. Well, this has been a, a fantastic conversation. I do want to be respectful of your time. We're at about 45 minutes or so. Uh, Dave, if people want to connect with you, uh, where can they find you?
1: Yeah. I mean, they can, uh, David Williams at team hired, uh, team hired.com. So David Williams at team
0: hired.com. And that's hired um, as in like H I R E D. Correct. Uh, yes. H I R E D. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, thank you. Thank you so much for being here, dude. I truly appreciate it. Again, I think your story is fantastic. I hope each and every one of you Listening or watching, have learned something from Dave. I know um, personally. Just I, I was actually taking some notes. Some of the things that I was asking questions about, I'm like, oh yeah, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that. That's sort of the best thing about doing these these uh, the show is that I get to interview people, and I'm, I'm always learning too, right? Like, I definitely don't know everything. You <laughs> So it's, it's fantastic. So thank you so much again for being here. Truly appreciate it. For each and every one of you listening, thank you again for being here. Please make sure that you rate, subscribe, review all of those things, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, or if you're watching on YouTube, your rating and review always go a long way to the show getting shown to more people. And that is the goal. We can't help a lot of people unless people can find what we have and your support helps us do that. So appreciate you guys for watching, listening or participating as always if you got questions just drop them on uh on either the comments or wherever you are let us know of course anything uh all the details will be in the show notes on the show site and we'll go from there but we appreciate having you on uh we'll see you guys on another episode real real soon have a great day night evening whatever time it is wherever you're watching or listening from appreciate you take it easy guys bye this podcast is sponsored by Three Degrees Consulting. If you need funnels, websites, paid ads management, or help with any of your digital marketing, Three Degrees Consulting is your go to source for everything. Check them out at www.go3dc.com. That's G O, the number three. D is in degrees, C is in consulting.com. Go check them out right now.